What will you do to unlock innovation? In today's fast-paced world, innovation might not be enough. Tomorrow's pioneers of change will need to be agile, able to adapt, and committed like never before. Your host, Santa Vending, invites you to listen in and join business leaders from around the world as they share their visions for success in our future business challenges. Welcome to Mind the Innovation. I'm your host, Santa Vending. I'm always excited to learn. And in today's podcast, we'll talk about agility, continuous learning, and mentoring. I want to welcome Andy Skipper. He's the founder and chief CTO coach at CTO Craft. Uh, CTO Craft is the UK's first learning and coaching network built for engineers, or engineering managers, CTOs, and tech leaders. So welcome, Andy. Hi, Santa. Thanks for having me. So tell me, tell me about your, you know, your passion, because this is something you started a few years ago. So what's, what's your passion about being innovating and building a learning and, and coaching network? Yeah, sure. So, so I was a CTO for a, a long time. So CTO of a number of startups and then um, at uh, Comic Relief, which is one of the biggest charities in the UK. Um, but throughout all of those, I was mentoring and coaching as a, um, as a part of my leadership toolkit, I guess. Um, and eventually started coaching people outside of the companies that I was working with. And that, that kind of drew me into coaching as a, as a profession, I suppose. Um, and I, I actually left Comic Relief back in 2014 specifically to coach. Um, and I did it alongside some, some interim and freelance roles. And eventually built a, a team of coaches. Um, and together we uh, we started CTO Craft initially as a as a community resource, I suppose, for the people that we were coaching back then. Um, and it's really grown from there. And it's uh, it's kind of drawn us into a number of other L and D related topics. So um, so e learning and um, and mentoring groups and communities of practice and uh, and so on and so forth and and events and conferences. Um, yeah, and that's where we are. So that's the thing. So with, I'm sure with, with leaders today, they're facing a lot of challenges. So now when you've been, you know, with your background saying you've been mentoring leaders for a couple of years or for a long time, is there like a common threat of what, what is, is the toughest to, you know, to toughest challenge that they, they're facing? Um, not that you need to give your secrets out, but <laughs> maybe you can on high level saying, oh, this is, this is the top five that they, that's the challenge uh, that, that you, you are facing. Yeah, yeah. So the most frequent thing that comes up for the CTOs in the group is, is burnout or some kind, of, uh, uh, some kind of stress, some kind of overload. Um, and I think the, the other things that tend to come up all tend to lead into that in some way. So we have uh, we have a lot of uh, first-time CTOs, for example, and they've come from an engineering background where they're they're not used to the nuances of uh, people-related stuff. They're used to quite sort of fixed black and white, yes or no answers, and uh, and finding solutions that are the definitive solution to a problem. Whereas with people, you uh, you can't really think of it that way, and a lot of them struggle in that regard, and they find themselves uh, find themselves running out of steam pretty quickly or running running up against the founders of their companies but um, but we also have a lot of people who are just not used to thinking at a strategic level so we have a lot of people who um, who find themselves very embedded in the day-to-day -day, very embedded in firefighting and business as usual and and not thinking long term not innovating not um, 
thinking of uh, where the company might be in two to three years if it's if it's successful if it scales, and that um, that causes problems between them and the the founders and the the, the board and so on and so forth. So yeah, all, all sorts of things like that. That's all right. Okay. So when coaching, um, it's also like teaching, right? A little bit. I suppose um, I suppose because what we do is kind of halfway between coaching and mentoring the difference being that um, as a mentor you bring your own experience and you uh, you give them the benefit of your uh, your scars and your uh, your experiences <laughs> um, and as a coach you're you're really trying to pull some sort of uh, improvement out of them personally so you're giving them tools and um, and kind of putting the focus on them being able to build their own abilities rather than giving them all the answers or giving them some suggested answers. Um, so uh, it's it's not really like teaching and it's okay. not really like consulting in, in that we're we're there and sort of giving them the answers and implementing the answers. Um, it's it's kind of pointing them in the right direction and then yeah and then Good. supporting them in the journey. So, but but okay. So that takes me because with teaching, because you can look at you can look at the school system right now, and you 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 need to you know it's like one way communication in some areas and saying this mm. is you know this is the question, this is why learning, and and that's why. But you you could also teach and give like learn critical thinking, so you're not giving the answers. Mm -hmm. So is it more critical thinking that you are coaching, mentoring to? And also, of course, telling some of your experience and your scars. I like I like that analogy. Um, so, so is it is it the dialogue behind it? Is it to get get lifting that head up and look you know look ahead, but also look wide as well to to find out or, or to make get them to be aware of their surrounding in a, in a different way. Is that yeah. the yeah. is that the way to to look at it? Indeed, yeah, yeah. So giving them um, giving them different sets of perspectives. Nothing apart from aside from the uh, the coaching, just being a member of a community like CTO Craft is a, a good way of seeing the the range of different approaches to, to these things. Yeah. And it's um, you know it's it's not just technical things; it's people related stuff, and it's hiring, and it's uh, it's strategy and stakeholder management and all that kind of thing. So I think just having points of reference outside their own their own bubble, yeah, is good. So outside of, of, of the bubble here, um, what what kind of what what do you see in the industry? Because I'm sure you're working with some startups. I'm, I'm guessing here, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but there's also the the bigger organizations that's been uh, bigger container ships, right? As an organization that that's, that's sailing around. Um, what's what's the big difference here? Is it the, is it the the startups? Are they more open minded? Uh, are they more uh, positive about change because they are a startup and that's if they want to survive they, they need to have that that approach um or do you see the same now in the bigger organization are they are they leaning are they looking or they're like mirroring to some of the startups to say oh we need to copy that we can't be this container ship uh, because the world is evolving yeah yeah and a number of my clients are actually ctos in internal teams internal startups some big organizations and the the difference between how they manage and how they build plans and so on and so forth and how they innovate is very, very different from actual startups, you know, kind of um, uh, VC backed or or uh, self-funded startups. I think in, in the latter, 
because they are, you know, the whether or not they they reach product market fit in a timely fashion is kind of existential for them. So they they're forced to be innovative. They're forced to change direction quickly, and they they're forced to do it quite cheaply as well. I think that's a key a key thing. They have to do it um, with budget in mind. I think in the startups or the innovation teams within larger organizations, which is t- typically how they try and match the the pace of, of startups and match the innovation of startups, um, they take away all the, the bureaucracy and the red tape only in name. And they end up still having to jump through a whole load of hoops. But they also have masses of resources available to them, which again, I think stifles stifles innovation, stifles creativity a bit. But they, they certainly they would like to be as innovative as early stage startups just without the risks. Um, I think that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, pro- that's probably why it doesn't succeed as often as it does for startups. But, uh, yeah. Okay. But about facing the, to change, because if you go into an organization um, and that can be a startup as well, I, I believe, but, but to go in the, some of the toughest is to, to, to make a change. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what's, what's your advice here? Uh, on, on what's what to do first because I, I think everybody's facing that if, if it's not every day you're facing it every week yeah yeah I mean in startups it's kind of built into the culture in a way you you kind of have to be um you have to have the right kind of people to to adapt and to change pretty quickly until you reach some kind of fit you know even post series a post series b you're still having to adapt and change constantly. So the, the kind of people that you have is, uh, is very relevant. Um, in larger organizations, you tend to choose people who are slightly safer. <laughs> I think that's, a, I think that's, I think that's a reasonable thing to say without, uh, without annoying anyone. But um, you tend, tend to choose people who are more risk averse. Um, because as I said before, corporations tend to be a lot more risk averse than early stage startups. Um, and so change in those situations is potentially a lot more expensive and a lot more um, a lot more risky. And so there, there is just a huge amount more red tape, a huge amount more barrier to change, I think, in, in those larger organizations. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so with, with change as well, that's something I, I see is that you... You always talk about that it's okay to fail, fail fast and fail mm-hmm. forward. <laughs> yeah. um, so, but there's also organization where it's difficult to 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 accept it within the the, the organization that it's okay to fail, even though you the organization has you know the values, the mission, everything, and saying, oh yeah, you know we you know we are totally in for it. Uh, it's mm-hmm. okay. That's how we learn. That's how we are innovative. Um, but. But even though they say it, that could be the surface of it. But when you go further in, is that something? Do you go further into organization and see that at all? Um, and and how how do you how do you change back to the change? That could be the difficult one, right? But but how do you what what are some of the the pinpoints to to get an organization to change differently to say it is okay and we do accept it, even if you say let's celebrate the failures or let's celebrate some of the wins. How do you how do you get around that? Yeah, well, I'd, well, I'd say first of all, that's another key difference between larger organizations and startups, and that um, it can be much more expensive to fail in a larger organization than it can be in a in a startup. Um, 
<clears throat> but generally speaking, I think um, building a, a culture of psychological safety is something almost all startups that I come across aspire to. At least some of them are more successful than others. Um, but I think um, having an awareness of the cost of failure and an awareness of accountability and so on and so forth, I, I don't think any startup that I speak to wants to avoid failure altogether, but they're not very good at handling failure when it happens. So that that's quite often something that I come and uh, support CTOs with, where they, uh, you know, they they haven't quite reconciled the two. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, question here: to be creative, right? Is that something you're born with, or is that something you actually learn? What do you think? No, I, I think you can learn it, and I don't, unfortunately, I think you can also forget it. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think I think both ways is true. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, no, certainly, um, you know, other than the 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 technical side of being creative, you know, the the technicalities of um, inventing, essentially, um, I think it's possible just to kind of force yourself to uh, to get stuff down on paper and to and to kind of visualize because I think we all have pretty rich internal lives. I think we all um, getting getting a bit deep and philosophical here but I, th I think we I think we all have active and you know colorful imaginations I think for some of us we're just not uh, not taught at an early enough age to um, uh, to externalize it in the same way so I, th I think it's it's a case of learning how to externalize what's already going on inside you um, but um how you do that I think it's dependent on the person I think um there are there are some great books out there like um is it the artist's way i've forgotten the name of the the author where okay. then there are a number of um a number of actual kind of uh, tangible steps that you go through to externalize more of your your inner inner world your inner inner creativity okay <laughs> um, and th things like journaling and that kind of thing yeah so so how do you foster your creativity um, in my case, uh, it's probably more of a case of tempering it, um, yeah. especially around the business and around, um, uh, what I'm building. You now, I think that that's quite a common problem in, uh, in company founders as well, tempering, um, the number of ideas, you know, um, I, I work quite closely with a lot of, um, product directors or chief product officers and a large part of, um, their early responsibilities is kind of um, putting some kind of framework around the the creativity and the ideas from the the founders of the business and stopping it being just a a constant waterfall into the engineering team <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think you know I, I I suffer from that a bit as well as um, as a founder of CTO craft there are uh, a million things that I would like to be doing right now but uh, but um, yeah it wouldn't be sensible to allow that to that waterfall to continue no 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 okay so um so the, the whole change and, and being creative um what, what, how do you see the companies how can they support when you look at, at a bigger organization and it can still be a, a, a startup but to get everybody on the same learning journey or ask the questions um ask the customers so you can get get better input because again the more you know up front the better <laughs> you get through a project but also what you don't know today um 
you will maybe learn later today or tomorrow. So, so what, what's the, what's the, what, what will, what should a, a, an organization, what's, what's some of the first steps they, they should do to, to capture some of these learnings? It's not an area of expertise. I'll say that up front, but, but certainly where I've seen it done well, there's, there's just a lot of collaboration with a, you know, a, a small group of the, the, the first set of customers. Um, and they use those as beta testers and they, they do surveys, they do screen recordings, they do, um, you know, meetings and brainstorming sessions with them. This this is in very early stage, in some case, uh, cases, uh, pre-product companies. Um, in later stage companies, I think it is just um, constant dialogue with the, the customers. And uh, quite a few of the, the engineering teams that I work with, um, they actually have quite quite close contact with customer support, for example. Um, and in those, uh, in some of those, they actually, uh, they, they second them into the, uh, into the customer support team for, you know, a day, a, a day, a quarter or one day a year, just so they can see the kind of conversations that are being had and the kind of requests that are being made. And that, that can be really powerful, I think, because there is a, um, especially in scaling startups, there is a, Bit of an air gap between the the developers and the the customers, and you have to artificially get rid of that gap in some cases. Um, but it's always it's always beneficial when it happens. Yeah. So with the with the customer in focus, which is really important, it could always be like a little buzzword as well. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So in, in today's world, where you say we have a, a corporate strategy. Do you see as well that that's like a customer strategy when you work with these different companies? Do they talk um, about that? In the startups, generally the entirety of the business strategy is around customers because yeah. they are essentially trying to, uh, trying to build market fit, which means they have to be all things to every customer, <laughs> at least for a, a portion <laughs> of their, their lifetime. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say any successful uh, business strategy is going to have to incorporate something around the users and the the, the user experience. Um, not all of them do, but uh, yeah, ideally they do. It's it's a key thing. So how do you how do you get around it, or how do you coach on on how to make sure that you are getting all this customer feedback? Um, because customer can can email you right customer can mm. call you customer can go through if you're working with other companies can go through them to say oh i need you know this is burning we we need to we need to get hold of this company so they're just using every channel and then in other cases maybe they're just saying oh we're just using the email that's how we want to communicate or we just want to call so mm. every human being is different how they want to be approached or how they want to contact you know interact um, and I'm sure it's also in the level of the urgency. If I'm going online and it's banking, if I can do it myself, but if it's an issue that needs to be fixed in that case, yeah, maybe I need to talk to somebody on the phone. So it, it, it all depends. That's the answer you're right now, <laughs> but, but yeah, how do you, how do you help to navigate, um, because when you talk about the customer and, the, and this is it, it to have that in focus, because one customer is just not just one, it's not just one person, right? There's so many personalities, there's so many behaviors. So how do you, how do you coach around that? So I, I coach technology leaders, 
as I say, there's quite often an air gap between technology and customers. Um, and I think that that kind of question is more about product, product development and product design. Um, and yeah, so I don't, I don't really have a huge amount of insight into that. Okay. But certain, certainly I've seen great tools that, um, that the CTOs put in place for product teams and for the, the corporate team or the commercial teams to improve their conversations with um, uh, with customers and users of the system and tools for recording what they do as well. So without needing to actually gather feedback explicitly from these people, they're, they're watching what they do, they're watching where they get held up, they're watching what goes wrong essentially and using that to define a hypothesis and, and say, right, if we change this, then more people will do that. But, uh, yeah. That's no. it, really. Okay. No. Okay. That, that's cool. So, what what in in technology? What what are you seeing right now? What's the trend? Because we just had a, a year where pandemic, so there's a lot of technology. A lot of people, a workforce, had to learn quickly, and there's a lot mm -hmm. of organization that needed to change um, how we communicate. Um, yeah. So, ha the whole rapid where we are today. Um, what what do you see over the what, what do you see in, in the future of where we're going? Is it did we do a, a big jump and now it will slow down again or did it open up so many more opportunities? I don't know. Do you, do you know what? I think just now as we're well, hopefully coming to the end of the uh, the pandemic, um, I think just now we're starting to see um, actual change uh, towards whatever it is. I think for the first 12 months, I think, uh, people were just kind of making do and kind of uh, hedging their bets a little bit and trying to just getting through the days and working out what was going to work on that day. But now I see real sort of positive thought into what it looks like long-term. So I think the biggest thing that we speak about at the moment in the community is what happens when we go back. Yeah. You know, so, um, so, um, but a lot of talk about hybrid working about, um, retaining the, the asynchronous nature of remote work, because I think I read a statistic somewhere that only 30% of companies that were completely collocated before the pandemic are planning to, to go back to that state. Um, which is a, that's, that's a huge number of people who are now yeah. going to be completely remote or at least mostly remote. And, and that, that requires different types of leadership requires different types of management. There's a lot yeah. more trust, trust involved. There's a lot more written communication involved there's a lot more um uh lot less uh, assumption and kind of um ad hoc requirement setting and so on and so forth so it is very different people are kind of figuring out how they go forward with that but it's uh, yeah it is going to be interesting it, it is yeah i i read somewhere where, where somebody said oh the hybrid sounds negative it, they they said it was a negative word because yeah do you really want the electrical car or do you want the one with the gas right doing mix is like hmm, <laughs> what is mm -hmm. it that you are doing but uh yeah um i like i like the flexibility on on mm -hmm. on the remote um but of course everything is is built on trust as well yes. so it's yeah. not the hours but it's what you deliver as a team um, but it's also the how do you communicate uh, that has that has changed. It's like almost you have to be <laughs> online the whole time. 
and, and the balance of you need to concentrate and complete your projects. You can't be bothered every two minutes on, 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 on something that's saying beep on your on your phone or on your computer. Right. Yeah. But uh, but that's I'm sure that's just the everyday challenge. So yeah. um, what's the what's the most important you can do in your space right now on, on being um, coaching and mentoring and, and being creative? Mm, well, so, so as I said before, the, the biggest thing that I help people with is uh, managing energy demands. So there's there's a lot of stress in our industry. I think not not just in technology, but across startups in general. <clears throat> and I think um, that can stifle creativity to a large degree. And um, there's a lot of imposter syndrome, and again, that that stifles creativity and innovation and uh, and so on. Um, but yeah, I think um, there is a lot of work to do in retaining the the ambiguity and the um, the the fast pace of startup life, um, and making it less stressful. I think then that uh, there is a large amount of um, expectation around people coming into startup roles that they don't they don't expect of themselves, and there is a um, yeah. There's a bit of reconciliation to do that. Okay. So looking back, we always learn what we didn't know yesterday, what we know today, right? We're doing better mm -hmm. today because what we learned. So what would you tell Andy we like 10, 10 years ago? Um, so so I suffered from imposter syndrome. You know, I I would tell myself that um uh that I'm doing a good job. Which I which I was. Um but I would also tell myself to um uh, to probably expand my my sphere of influence a little better so 10, ten years ago i was um i was at uh, made.com which is a designer furniture retailer and i built out the initial systems there and i was very very focused and very much in my bubble um, and hadn't really built out much of a network at that point i think network is a hugely powerful thing networking community um and i i probably would tell myself that it's more important than I was giving it credit for. But, uh, yeah. That's good. Yeah, no, networking is, is the power. And I'm sure that's why you everything you're doing today is, is around networking as well. Yeah, yeah. So, Empowering people through network. Yeah. That's good. Thank you so much for being on, on my podcast today. It was it was great to get some input. Um, and, and I learned as well as something more about mentoring. Um, so thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, and if you like to hear more, please subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Until then, stay curious and keep learning.